eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. From Jordan Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it. War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, I'm Brandon Marcello. It's time for a roundtable podcast. Football season's over with for, for Auburn. Uh, a couple bowl games left, including the national championship, of course, here coming January 13th with LSU and Clemson. But uh, Auburn season over after a 31-24 loss to Minnesota. Uh, in the Outback Bowl. We're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss uh, the season. We're going to discuss the future. And we might also discuss a little bit of uh, SEC football and some recent developments. But uh, we've got Philip Marshall. We've got Jason Caldwell. we got Mark Murphy on the horn with us today. Uh, gentlemen, uh, my, my first thoughts just on uh, the Outback Bowl to me was this uh, Minnesota won both lines of scrimmages. And that was the game. That that was it. You win both lines of scrimmages, you're going to win the game. And Minnesota, and a bit of surprise to me, uh, did very well. And not just did very well, but uh, dominated most every snap uh, on on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah, Brent, I, I agree. I agree. I think you look at it, to me. That's where it starts. And um, really, the more surprising part of that was on defense. Um, am I shocked that Auburn wasn't able to run the football? A little bit, but we haven't seen them really go run rough shot over you know a good team this year. They run the ball really well against teams that were not real good, but they hadn't had one of those games against one of those teams. And uh, Minnesota's plan was great. I thought those coaches, that coach staff, did a great job of scheming up Auburn on both sides of the ball. I thought they did a good job of mixing it up on offense and defensively. I thought they did a good job of run blitzing, uh, forcing Auburn's hand a little bit and getting them in third and long situations. And just looking at it. From uh, you know a bird's eye view, and then you know obviously not in the in the in the planning stages. To me, it looked like Auburn thought they were going to be able to run the football, and they they went into it with that plan, and didn't really change it up a whole lot. Uh, and and once again, I thought that was kind of the 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 story for me was the lack of of innovation on offense, too many substitutions again, and really I thought that had had they wanted to throw the ball, you know. 75% of the time or more on, on, you know, in that game on Wednesday that they would have been much more successful uh, in, in backing Minnesota up a little bit, never threw it deep. All those things that we've talked about probably time and time again over the last couple of years all flared up again in that loss to, to Minnesota. 
I went, you know, I talked to an assistant coach who sure remained nameless, so we won't get in trouble, but, uh, who, who told me that, that they really thought that they were going to score a lot of points that they didn't think Minnesota was very good on defense. And, uh, and that they could, that they would be able to run the ball. And, uh, and it was really kind of strange. I mean, they, uh, you know, the, the offense through, through, through this, no part of it's no fault of its own went a long time in the first half without touching the ball. I mean, you had the, the long drive for a field goal, then the kickoff turn, then the fumbled punt. But, uh, so that contributed to the, uh, to the, to the small number of snaps, uh, particularly in the first half, but, but you're right. I mean, Minnesota won on the line of scrimmage and, uh, you're usually going to win the game when you do that. And also I thought they're, their two receivers, I thought, were as good as advertised. I mean, the the catch for the touchdown in the second quarter, I guess, at the back of the end zone, and the catch on fourth down that really kept the game-ending drive alive uh, were pretty amazing catches. And uh, uh, you know, I, I it, you know, I take Auburn players and coaches at their word when they talk about how they. Uh, they were approaching this game differently. And I think they were sincere when they said that, that they were approaching this game as if it was important. But, but I also think that in games, that was a huge, huge, huge game to Minnesota. And, uh, and I think that they approached it that way and they, in their game planning and everything else. And I'm not sure that Auburn, uh, viewed it quite the same way. And it, uh, they just didn't play well enough to win. They just got beat. And, uh, it happens, particularly in bowl games, it happens. And uh, it happened to them, and lots of folks are unhappy, which was predictable. You know, what amazed me, guys, is that as poorly as Auburn played, and as Brandon mentioned, Auburn losing the battles up front on both lines of scrimmage, they had a chance to win that game until the last three or four minutes. And all they had to do was get a stop and run the two-minute offense and get the game into overtime or go for a two-point conversion. But um, the big surprise to me was – the defense couldn't make stops when it needed to make stops. And uh, you know, Minnesota was, was a good team offensively, but certainly not as good as some of the teams Auburn played earlier in the year. And uh, the crazy stat in this game to me was Minnesota had the football for, I think it was 37 minutes and 35 seconds time of possession. That's just really unusual. Auburn had it for 22 minutes. and There was basically five possessions in the first half from the Auburn offense five in the second half and only two possessions in the fourth quarter when the game was on the line. Yeah, and there was a you know a couple drives there by Minnesota where Auburn's defense just couldn't get off the field. Of course, that last drive when it's fourth and one and uh, you know uh, Minnesota dials up that pass, beautiful play design to the tight end who made it an incredible catch himself to uh, extend that drive and, and pretty much put the game in the bag. Um, but Auburn, I think the turning point in that game was er, earlier. Auburn got that big fourth down stop. The offense comes on the field and, and is unable to do anything. They have to punt. And then on the very next play for Minnesota offensively, they throw that 73 yard touchdown pass. That just seemed like a backbreaker to me. That was Auburn's moment to seem like all the momentum was going toward Auburn. And then Minnesota just grabbed it right back in one play. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that was big, and and I think I think the fumble punt was was just as big, maybe bigger. I thought if Auburn, you know, up ten three, you get a three and out, um, you have the ball potentially around midfield there, just catching the punt, 
Um, you do that, go down and score, you're up 17-3. And it, to me, it, it changes what Minnesota's plan is on offense at that point. They were able to stay within themselves um, because, you know, they scored obviously three plays later. To me, if you have a chance to seize momentum right there, you don't you, – your defense is not right back on the field again. Uh, obviously, you have a huge special teams play on the positive, but that negative was just as big or maybe bigger because I thought that one, one that, that probably kept Minnesota uh, within themselves instead of having to change what they were going to do. Yeah, it I seemed agree. like Auburn was about to – it felt like Auburn was about to take over the game right when they were punting and then Tut, you know, muffed that punt and, as you said, changed everything. It just felt like Auburn was maybe going on their way to like a double-digit win. And then, I mean, it's just amazing how quickly things can turn, change and turn for you. I think that, you know, the kick kickoff returns are wonderful. But uh, but that they had just been on the field for, I think, 12 plays uh, when Minnesota – field goal, so then they return the kickoff and have to go right back out there, and they get a three and out, and then they got to go right back out there again, and uh, uh, which which led to a few things. It, it I think the defense was kind of on its heels after that in the first half, and I think that, uh, uh, like I said, you you take away possessions. I, I, think, I think, Jason, you said that they went like 30 minutes real time without the offense being on the field. And um, uh, it was probably at least that long. So it went. For, I do know that it went from Auburn being ahead three to nothing to the score being tied ten to ten without Auburn ever running a, taking a snap on offense. Yeah, I think another big play too in the game was uh, Auburn trying that fake punt in the fourth quarter with Sipos throwing the ball down the field, and uh, I just didn't think it was a smart move at the time. It was fourth and about eight, and. Uh, I mean, there's still time to win that football game. I would have punted them back deep, and uh, even though the defense wasn't playing great, uh, I just didn't think that was the time to do the fake. Maybe if it was three or four yards, and, and if you're going to let Sipos play Australian rules football and try to run over somebody, then I'd be all for it. Yeah, it was a stra- that was a strange call. Strange- that was a strange call in a strange moment uh, for Auburn. Um so, guys, moving forward, um, recently Noah Benogany, uh, Auburn starting quarterback, cornerback, excuse me, uh, has declared for the NFL draft. We all know Nick Coe is on his way out. He had announced previously before the bowl game and uh, had left the team. Uh, Auburn losing, I think, four, four defensive backs, um, obviously losing Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown up front on defense. Offensively, four or five starters along the offensive line are gone um moving forward with the with this program how do you guys feel about where the tigers are and where they're headed and what they've got to replace and and kind of improve upon offensively and defensively and uh i'll start with you philip well obviously you know the offensive line is going to be the question and uh uh and i I don't think anybody knows a lot of people assume it's going to be bad i don't that's i don't assume that and uh I don't know. And, uh, I know they got some guys that, that they feel like are really talented and, and, uh, I, and, you know, for some reason people, it bothers people that guys move from defense to offense. Uh, some of Auburn's best offensive linemen in, in, in the last two decades have been guys who started out on defense. And that's, I, I don't see that as a, as an issue, but we don't know about any of them except a little bit about Nick Brahms. Other than that, we just don't know. We know what I, you know, I know what people have told me and that, uh, 
I think Rodarius Ham, a lot of people think is a is a has got a chance to be a really, really good player. But we'll see. Uh I talking to coaches uh over the past several weeks, I think they feel good about the secondary and they, and in fact think they could be as good or better at safety than they than than they are now, even with, with Jeremiah Denson and Daniel Thomas leaving. I and you know, I and they also feel like they got players on the defensive line that can that can give them what they need. They obviously don't have, or at least that we know of, uh, Derek Brown or, or Marlon Davidson. And, and uh, that's that's going to be two huge, huge, huge holes to fill. Obviously, they got all the linebackers back, so that's a good thing. So, And they got pretty much everybody back on offense other than the offensive line. So I think they got a chance. Uh, uh, you know, they got – that's part of the college football is that you got – you have to go through this. You have to replace players. And uh, – they they recruited well based on on uh, the ranking, so we'll see. For me, it, it starts with defense. I think, I think offensive line. I think you look at that one, and it was a group that played okay. Um, that's about all I can give them this year. I, I thought you, know, you look at the numbers and you go, well, they they were really good in pass protection. Well, I, I think Bo Nix had a lot to do with that this year. I think they they played okay. Um, I think you got to be at least as good as you were this year on the offensive line, in my opinion. Um, those guys played hard. They just weren't a group that knocked guys off the line of scrimmage. And I think you got to find that if Gus Malzahn continues to do what he's doing on offense. Uh, no matter what, you got to be able to run the football, and you got to be able to run it better than they have. And so I think it starts there. But I, look at me, and i got huge questions about the defense. I really do. Um, and you look up up front, and you go, you got guys that have played, but boy, you got to have somebody that's dynamic. And I don't see anybody that's dynamic right now on this defensive line. I think you got guys that have the potential to be those guys. Big Cat Ryan has to take that step that Marlon Davidson took, in my opinion. He's got to go from getting pressure to to getting a quarterback on the ground seven or eight times. That's To me, that's where it starts. But we've talked about him now for two years, talked about him coming into this season. For this defense to, to be anything close, to me, Connus Miller has to become a guy that they can depend on. And he hasn't become that guy yet. Um, Daquan Newkirk, um, you know, he's a guy that's had injury issues. He's got to, you know, he's got to trim down and get in better shape. And then secondary wise, um, I think they've got some players, but man, you lose so much experience. And we saw that the other day. I think the those safeties have potential, but Smoke Monday did not have a good day, you know, against Minnesota. And he's one of the guys you're going to count on to play. So to me, I look at it and I think this is this to me, this team going into next year, just in terms of line of scrimmage. And and defense probably has as many question marks as as a team that I Auburn team in in my opinion the last four or five years and so I think it's uh, this spring is going to be really important for them. Knowing how much Gus Malzahn loves to run the football, I think it's imperative that they get better at the running back position, whether it's somebody already there on the team right now, or whether it's Tank Bigsby coming in and making an immediate impact. That's something that needs to happen, and they need to have two guys really step up and and be guys that make people miss, run over people, and particularly with a young offensive line, I think that's going to be key to success in, in 2020. Defensively, I think the linebackers are going to be really good. They're going to need to be the foundation for the defense. Uh, I think the secondary's got a chance to be pretty good, too. Up front, that's my big question for the uh, team in 2020. They should be fine. Special teams, uh, the receivers should be fine. Quarterback should be fine. But the defensive front, uh, how well they replace Marlon Davidson 
uh, and Derek Brown, too, really uh, outstanding four-year contributors is going to be a big key. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast you know offensively you know there's a lot of discussion about you know you mentioned the running game and I think we could all agree that Auburn and Bo Nix, for that matter, looked better when they were truly running that two-minute offense, which is difficult to do throughout an entire game. But it certainly seemed like their strength was allowing him to, you know, make decisions with the RPOs or just throw the ball. Now that Chad Morris is here at Auburn, and he had some input on the game plan, but not significant amount and obviously wasn't calling plays. Going into the spring and this offseason, do we expect uh, any, you know, not necessarily um, backing off from Gus Malzahn, but some adaptation, some evolution of the Auburn offense under Gus Malzahn with Chad Morris on board? Is that actually going to happen? I think that's the. I think that is a million dollar question, and uh, more million, I, more than one million dollars. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I think that. But nobody, I think as you've reported that uh, uh, that that we uh, Brandon that we have a. Uh, I think I think Chad will call the plays. I do expect that to happen. But the question is, is he calling his plays or is he calling Gus's plays? And uh, uh, and I think that that's if it's if it's Chad calling Gus's plays, then I think you have the potential for the same kind of dysfunction you've seen before. If, if Gus can can bring himself to say you're the guy, it's your offense, then I think you have the the possibility of, of of moving moving away from some of the or maybe not away is the right word, but but becoming more of a a, a uh, diverse 
and dynamic offense than what we've seen a lot the last couple of years. And it's, uh, it's puzzling to everybody to, that, I mean, I, I, I look back at the last two seasons and, uh, you know, I remember the, the end of the second quarter and the start of the third quarter against LSU, they were, they were playing up tempo. They were and throwing the ball and they scored touchdowns on three consecutive possessions and led 21 to 10. And then they didn't do it anymore. And, uh, when I watched them beat Texas A&M at home in 2018, game looks like it's over. Suddenly it's not. They got Jarrett Stidham throwing the ball in the two-minute offense, go down the field and score, get it back, go down and score again and win the game. I look at the Alabama game, and, uh, and I'm, no, I'm no play caller, and I don't claim to be. And as I've said a lot of times, I'm not going to wait and see if a play works and say if it was a good call or not. But in terms of uh, just the approach, I, you know, I guess I didn't see the same thing against Minnesota as I saw against Alabama. Uh, maybe that has to do with what Minnesota was doing on our defense. I don't know. But, but uh, I think that if he turns the play calling over to Chad, my opinion is it would be very helpful then for him to turn it all over to Chad as far as decisions on who plays the game plan, all those things. I don't know if he could bring himself to do that. Uh, if he does it, if it ends up being a mixture, it'll be a better mixture than, than it was with Chip Lindsey because, because they run a, the, the basics of their offenses are the same. But I think that, that Chad's a lot more pass-oriented and uh, throws the ball, you know, spreads the ball around more, uh, certainly more to the tight end, which would make a lot of fans really happy. Uh and so it could be different, but I don't think we're going to know until we see it in action. The the thing that I look at is, Philip, you mentioned something about, um, you know, defense is doing things, different things to you. To me, that's what I, that's the difference I see in Auburn's offense and people like LSU and Alabama, they don't care what you're doing. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're doing on defense. They're going to attack you and find ways to do it. And it may take them a little while to figure it out. It took LSU a little while to figure it out. But they're going to keep attacking you, and they're going to put you on your heels. And the constant substituting um, kind of taking takes the air out of the ball. And what it does is it forces you to then react to defensive substitutions. Um, that's the one thing that right now, that in my opinion, no matter what you do on offense next year, you got to find a way to keep guys on the field more often. Um, on Wednesday, it seems like, and it's something a little bit in bowl games too. Um, last year it didn't matter against Purdue. Uh, they were so much better than Purdue. It didn't matter what they did really, but in bowl games, almost as if we got so much time to prepare, Yeah, we got all these things we're going to do. Well, here's, here's what we're doing with this, with this guy and all, and, and teams also prepare for that. You could see, you know, Purdue waiting, they're waiting on Harold Joyner to get in the backfield, knowing that, Hey, if you put him in the game, they're going to get into the ball. They're going to throw it to him somehow. All those things to me, I thought were were key. But to me, you got to go tempo, and you're right about passing offense. You got Bo Nix, Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz, this group of wide receivers coming in. You got to be aggressive and take the offense to a defense. And to me, that's going to start with a passing game. I think it's got to happen for this group. I agree. And the thing is, you know, look, everybody, every, every coach would love to have a situation like like. Gus had in 2013 when he had a 
a one of the most dynamic zone read quarterbacks ever in Nick Marshall and a 2000 yard running back. And you could say it didn't matter that the other team knew you were going to turn around and give it to Trey Mason because the offensive line was going to blow him off the line of scrimmage. You were going to make yards anyway, but he hasn't had that. He certainly doesn't have that this year. And it, it seems like there've been times when he has, uh, recognized that one being that one being the iron bow and, uh, and, Times when, but if he gets it, I think what I think is that they thought they could run it, they could run it like that against Minnesota, and they couldn't, and they didn't do a very good job of of uh, of responding to that fact. Yeah, and adjusting that, you know, you look at it, and once you see what they're doing, that's where, you know, because I thought, you know, on Saturday being field level, and it's a different view, but obviously. You look, and Anthony Schwartz had six balls thrown his way. He caught six balls. They were playing off of him. I thought they could have thrown it 20 times and made Minnesota eventually come up and, and guard him. But you could have thrown the ball to him 20 times, and he'd had 20 catches unless he just dropped one because they, they were so scared of him. Yeah. Said, and, you're going to have and, those plays open, and, and you just keep yeah, going back to it. Yeah, and if they're not going to stop you from doing it, then make six or eight yards every play. That worked pretty well. If you do that, <laughs> and uh, uh, I just thought it was—I don't know what it is about bowl games. Maybe it's what you said, Jason, about having having so much time. But the truth is, uh, Auburn played really well in in the first bowl game. It, it wasn't technically a bowl; it was a BCS championship game. They played really well in that game, though they gave up a big lead. And other than that, the only time they played well were against two, Memphis and the Birmingham Bowl and Purdue last year, and both of those teams were overmatched. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure they didn't think they had the same thing yesterday or Wednesday. I don't know that, but I, I just wonder. Yeah, um, and Minnesota certainly proved differently. I mean, I was I was very impressed by the, the coaching job uh, of Minnesota, especially offensively and what they were doing to stretch – Stretch things, a lot of stretch runs. They're trying to gate Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson as much as possible. And, um, you know, Marlon Davidson mentioned after the game that he felt like he was like two steps away from changing the entire game. And if you look at it, 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 I think he's specifically talking about that fourth and one play on that pass. He's coming off the edge unblocked, and he's just a step from hitting the quarterback and potentially – one obviously be a turnover of downs, or maybe even having it th- be a thrown an interception or something. Um, and Auburn's offense would have been back on the field with a chance to, uh, you know, potentially tie it or or win it. Um, it was just one of those. It was just a frustrating day watching, you know, Auburn trying to go against Minnesota, and a lot of that was just coaching, man. I mean, I was very impressed with the the, the way the Gophers coaching staff handled everything. Yeah, I don't know how you could not be. I, they, 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 like as I said earlier, I think it was a huge game to them, and they were, they were ready, and uh, and it was a huge win for them. I mean, Minnesota being eleven and two, uh, beating Auburn and Penn State, uh, that's <laughs> that's a pretty unusual year up there. Yeah, it hasn't happened. Uh, they haven't had a ten win season since nineteen oh five. An incredible year for them with. PJ Fleck, PJ Fleck. I, I don't know about you, Jason. You got to get and Mark. You guys got to see him up close. But uh, you, you know, he reminds me of Minnesota's coach. He reminds me of uh, a combination of Bruce Pearl 
and Lou Holtz. You know, Lou Holtz always loves to talk up his opponent and all that, no matter even if they're playing uh, Wofford. And uh, Bruce Pearl, of course, is a very dynamic and energetic coach, and Fleck kind of had both those qualities. I could see why he's such a big hit in college football circles, but also with that fan base up there. And um, what he's done uh, early here in his career, not just at Minnesota, but uh, that's a that's a name to watch here in the next couple of years, I think. Yeah, to me, that's why that punt, the fumble punt, was so important because the sidelines had had you go up seventeen three, then you're then they're having to create energy. Those guys were bouncing around the entire staff, running up and down there. Uh, you could see them just kind of feeding more and more. And I'm telling you, it was a warm day. Um, a little bit warmer than it was supposed to be 68 or so with the sun beating down. It was a little bit warmer than that on the field, I believe. Um, and that created that. I thought Auburn's defense got worn down a little bit. We saw them play a few more guys later in the game. But when you have a month off and you haven't played, you can run and do all the things you want to. But well, Christmas will take its toll no matter what. And I thought it did a little bit on that Auburn defense because they were on the field so much. You know, I thought Auburn looked really quick up in Nashville and, uh, I just didn't see the same type of quickness at all uh, in Tampa. And, you know, that's the thing that really stood out to me more than anything. You know, I thought Auburn would have a big edge in speed and quickness against a Big Ten opponent, and uh, it just didn't play out that way on New Year's Day. Guys, I want, you know, we talked about the defense and everything and, and the offense and everything that Auburn has to replace. I think it's uh, – Obviously, a credit to the recruiting for Auburn, but you look at you know Auburn's losing four defensive backs, either whether they're seniors or leaving early for the NFL, like Noah Benogany. But they they got a lot of four star and, and blue chip guys coming in, and then some backups who have played pretty well, including Roger McCreary this past season. Um, I, I would expect that the uh, corners and safeties would actually be okay next season. They're going to be fine. Linebackers is probably going to be the strength. And then the defensive line, like you were mentioning, uh, Jason, guys like Connus Miller and Daquan Newkirk, those are the guys that got to step up and kind of make a change. But um, I, I don't, you know, I don't think this defense will take like a giant step back or anything like that. Obviously, it's difficult to replace generational talent like Derek Brown. But um, I think if they, I mean, they've built this thing on defense the right way. Going back to Will Muschamp to Kevin Steele, obviously now with the recruiting, that it just seems like they're in a position now where they're able to reload every year and kind of be on that top fifteen, top twenty level. And I, I don't think that'll be any different next season. I, I agree. Uh, no, they they do lose obviously Derek and and uh, and Marlon. That's all they lose on the defensive front. And those guys that you mentioned, Cornish Miller, Newkirk. Uh, Guys like that, they certainly have. They certainly have uh, what it takes physically. They certainly have the talent. Uh, Hanley, uh, I think Derek Hall is going to be a really good player. Uh, I think he was a good player this year. And, and as Jason said earlier, Big Cat Brian is the guy. Big Cat Brian needs to be the guy that that kind of sets sets the uh, pace up there because he certainly has the talent and. Uh, and it's his turn, it's his time, and it's uh, uh, be a big year for him as far as going on to the NFL with draft and all those things. So 
it'll be uh, he needs to be the guy. But I, I agree with you. I, I think they'll be good on defense. Uh, what level of good? I don't know, but I think they'll be good. Yeah, I, I just yeah. I, I I think they have potential. I, I just still have I have serious questions uh, about the next guys on that defensive line. I do. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I know that the abilities there, but you know you, you look this year and and when you when you went a little deeper on that defensive line this year, um, they get they had issues and obviously they weren't Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson, but now those guys have to turn into those starters. And so I think to me that it's big playability. And I think Big Cat can do some of those things, but you got to have guys making plays in the middle. Um, and who can be that guy? You know, that's the question mark. Tyrone Truesdale's improved a lot. He's still kind of who he is. I think a guy that's a good yeah. defensive tackle, but he's not a guy that's going to push the pocket a ton. Yeah. Um, can Jaron Handy be that guy? He probably needs another 15 pounds or so, which is is very possible. I think to me, there's a couple of key guys when you start looking at it. You mentioned Derek Hall. I think. You know, T.D. Moultrie kind of still waiting on him to be that guy. I think Derek Hall can – but to me, I think a guy like Colby Wooden, can he get big enough to move inside and give you another, another you know, kind of longer tackle body that's a more athletic guy. Those guys you got to have on defense now. The You know, you look and, and how much benefit do you get out of uh, out of true defensive tackles nowadays, the way teams are playing. Right. Uh, not a ton. Um, you got to have guys that can get after the quarterback. To me, that – that in the end, we saw it against Minnesota. In the end, that that's they didn't get much pressure. Um, and if if Derek and Marlin didn't get it this year, then they didn't really get it. And and so that's what you got to have, and that's what they got to have moving forward. And um, got to be able to do it without blitz. And so I, I, that's to me the question mark. I do think in the secondary, you're looking at guys like Nehemiah Pritchett. They're really excited about him. Jalen Simpson, uh, those young corners. You meant you know Smoke Monday. Jamie Sherwood has some experience. You got Christian Tut back, um, and you got some newcomers. They're going to help. I really think that you look and I think the uh, Darius Tennyson's going to play. Chris Thompson could play. You know the nickel safety type guys. So I think they got some help in this class in addition to Marco Domio, the junior college corner. So I think there's there's abs- absolutely talent. I just you know my question is going to be how quickly those guys on that defensive line can get going and can they become. Um, can they take it to the next level? Yeah, a couple of young guys I like uh, in the secondary are Nehemiah Pritchett. Um, I think the guy has really got what it takes to be a cornerback in the SEC. And uh, I like uh, Zion Puckett, too. Played a little bit as a true freshman. He's a guy who's sort of a do-everything kid over in high school, played quarterback, played linebacker, played receiver, played safety, played cornerback. And I think he's going to be – pretty good fit at the nickel spot and he's big enough and fast enough to play safety too if they need him well guys i wanted to chat briefly in in things here with uh just kind of the overall state of the sec last year after last season um no coaches sec head coaches were fired well four sec head coaches have been fired uh this year including two who only lasted two seasons. Uh, Chad Morris at Arkansas is now the offensive coordinator here at Auburn. And and on Friday morning, uh, news came along that Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State had been fired um, after uh, a loss to Louisville in a bowl game. Uh, the man won two Egg Bowls in his first two years and went to two bowl games. But a lot of things going on behind the scenes there with player discipline, 
um, uh, and respect, I guess, for the coach among those players. And um, the culture just wasn't right. So Mississippi State let Joe Moorhead go, and now they're searching for a head coach. But, guys, um, it's, it's, it's incredible how much the pressure has gone up on coaches, and obviously every little facet is judged. But, man, two years and, and done. That that seems to be, not necessarily be the new norm, but that seems to be okay nowadays. What do you guys think of that? I think it's uh... – I think it's the best of times and worst of times to be a head coach at the, uh, at the highest level, you paid a whole bunch of money. And, uh, even if you fail, you get paid a whole bunch of money. And, uh, so that's the great part. Uh, the bad part is you better not fail and, and you sure better not, not have a bad year. And then also on top of it, like at Mississippi state, have things going on that, that are embarrassing to the university and, and, uh, to the program. And, uh, uh, and so they'll pay off another coach. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how many tens of millions of dollars are spent paying coaches, not the coach. That's yeah, it's astonishing, but, uh, but it's, uh, I mean, you better, you better, you better win. And, and, and the thing is, I mean, you better win at, at the, Auburn or other places, you better win at the level people want you to win, or there's going to be all kinds of pressure. Because I mean, Auburn went five and one in the SEC West this year. Yeah, I, I did. That really hadn't even hit me till I was looking at it this morning. They went five and one. They their only loss was to LSU, and yet they still ended up losing four games because they played they played uh, four other teams that won eleven games. And uh, uh, but that doesn't matter. Uh, the only thing that matters is that they, the, the playoff has changed, has completely changed the entire, entire landscape of college football to me, at least at, at this level. Uh, if you're not going there, then it's kind of a shrug of the shoulders, whatever you do, unless you lose and then it's the end of the world. But, uh, but I, I don't think if Auburn had beaten Minnesota, I think people would have been happy and, uh, obviously, and. They that would have they would have won ten games and all those things, but I don't think that that would have suddenly meant that all the all the the uh, Gus detractors out there were suddenly going to become uh, get on the Gus bus, so to speak. I don't believe that would have happened. If if you're not in it, or at least close to being in it, and that, that sometimes people forget Auburn was real close to being in it just two years ago, but uh, but. If you're not, then nothing else much matters, and it's go find somebody else. I think you're right about the playoffs, and it's it's kind of funny. I heard somebody talking about this the other day that people are now talking about bowl games and how well you know, meaningless bowl games, all these things, and how it's, this playoff has changed the mindset. And 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 somebody's exactly right. Said, well, what's the difference between a game on October fifteenth when you already have two conference losses? Yeah. Because exactly. you're out of the playoffs, exactly. it's over with. Um, those games are just as meaningless. They're not, but by some people's perceptions, they are. And I, it's the one thing that I hate about the direction of this sport right now. And I understand that, hey, playoff, eight-game playoff, whatever it is, it's going to come. But what it's done to the rest of the you know, the rest of the, the fan bases uh, around the country uh, and the perceptions uh, of the games – it's become outrageous, and it really is. And now, 
you know, now a, a, a nine and three regular season or nine and four season. Heck, you look at at, at Georgia. Um, you know, Georgia what won twelve games. The twelve game season, the people are going, man, that's that's a disappointing year. It's it's yeah. pretty amazing how this thing has changed. It really is. I, I and I, it's, it's it's distressing to me as an old dude that's been around this game a long time, but uh uh but it has and and it's uh and it's it's here's the thing. I think there is an in my opinion, <laughs> there is an attempt to create something akin to the NFL in college. And you can't. The, it, the games are different. The players are different. And there's 130 teams. Uh, so it, but if it becomes the only thing that matters is winning the championship, then, then uh, you got a whole lot of teams not mattering. Like almost I everybody. I, I do laugh, though, that when people are talking about Oh, you're gonna have you're gonna have a uh, a ten and two team or a nine and three team potentially, you know, fighting for the playoff berth. And uh, and I did have to laugh because I you know I think just uh, two weeks ago there were two seven and seven teams in the NFL fighting for home yeah. good advantage. So yeah. um, you know it's all about again all about perception. Yeah, yeah, and, and to me, see to me, I think an eighteen playoff will help. I don't think it'll solve everything, but it will help because there'll be would be more games. More games that matter in the minds of people. More teams still at least playing for the possibility of something in November than there are than there are now. And if that were to mean that somebody, I mean, it's nobody complains when a number ten seed wins the NCAA basketball championship. If a, if a team with three losses gets in there and wins, more power to them. Yeah, I like the eighteen playoff too, and I've liked it for a long time. And for the reasons you mentioned, and uh, don't think they can do more than eight teams, but just no, no a logistical nightmare. Uh, plus, it becomes it, then it really does start to diminish the regular season. If, if you go to sixteen teams, then uh, I mean, other divisions do it, but they're they're playing in front of seven thousand people. Uh, you would the really only thing they got to figure season. out is. Uh, they got to figure out is is the timetable because there's no reason to worry why this national championship game shouldn't be played this coming Monday. I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I, I figured that out. Yeah, I, I remember after the semifinal games and they said January 13th, and I, I was just what? That is. It feels like a month away. It's it's ridiculous that they had they would have had nine days between a semifinal and final. Uh, does it, does nine days. Know why that's the case? I have no idea. I really have no idea. Yeah, I mean, you got to be talking about people being rusty in the national championship game. I mean, it, it's crazy. I don't. I, 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 it's I really, a good thing for LSU to get their running back healthy with the hamstring, but uh, I don't think anybody else is probably excited about having to wait that long. No, that's uh, that's uh, I, I was amazed. I didn't. It did. I'm like you, Brandon. I didn't really. I hadn't really looked at it, and uh, I said, "Wait a minute, that can't be right." When I heard, when I first heard January thirteenth, I I just knew they were talking about an NFL game sometime, and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that'd be good," but that's a little early. And then I thought, "Hold on, that's a Monday night," and then I realized it was the national championship game. It's just, it's beyond idiotic. Well, I think it moves up earlier next year. I might be wrong, but yeah, it's just weird. But whatever, money, money rules the world. Um, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it, with uh, TV and everything, and maybe what's going on with the NFL playoffs or something. Who knows? Anyway, 
Uh, I think that's going to do it, guys, for this episode of the Roundtable. Great stuff on Auburn and, of course, the SEC and college football. And moving forward, we're going to you know, really get into, one, recruit the final uh, month of recruiting and then also um, basketball season on our, on our next episode. So you guys make sure to tune in for that if you're craving uh, basketball and some recruiting info. I'm Brandon for Jason, Mark, and Philip. We'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.